Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Melanie Me Podcast. I'm Mia. This is Whitney. And we have a special, special guest today on our show, um, Jatelli Bellenton. Did I pronounce that right? The first name was good, Jatali. Bellenton Jat- is the last name. Say that again. Jatali Bellenton. Bellatin. Okay. So beautiful, by the way. Sounds better with the accent. Because <laughs> I was like, you say it because I don't want to butcher people's names. Um, thank you. Thank you. Well, welcome. Thank you for, you know, coming on to our show. Um, so let me just give our audience a little bit of background about you. So you currently have a school project that you have right now that you're spearheading in Ghana. You are the founder of Kidpreneur Brand, as well as um, Kids Who Bank. Did I yes. pronounce it? Okay, Kids Who Bank. You've been featured in Forbes, Rolling Out, and Sheen, just to name a few. You also um, have a background in finance and investment banking, accounting. So you are just an all-around renaissance woman. thank you thank you well let me start with saying thank you for having me and um and for the compliment (laughs) you're welcome our pleasure yeah so tell us a little bit about yourself um you you know have obviously a really strong background in finance accounting um you've got several projects going on different businesses how did you get I guess what was the thing that made you interested in numbers so to speak (laughs) (laughs) and where and where are you located um, right now too so our viewers so i'm currently located in new york um but i'm from manchester england uh i lived in london uh so my my accent is funny enough like a mixture of the two it's predominantly like if you know the uk it's more manchester mancurian versus london but then you know certain things i say i'll drop a lot of letters and i'll be like that okay that's a London in her coming out and um you know but um you know I live in New York now and uh we have a finance curriculum here in the states which you mentioned kids who bank and you know numbers have kind of ruled everything around me for a long time if you asked me when I was younger what I was going to be I wanted to be a pediatrician or a child psychologist okay and the first time I did my residency and I was supposed to like we, we were in classes and we had to cut into a cadaver I was like, I don't want to be a pediatrician anymore because if I have to go oh, through man. this to get to that, I can't stomach all this blood and any of the right. other stuff I had yeah. to do with. Right. And I was like, oh, I'll be a child psychologist. But the whole time, even from young, I already started working as a paid internship in the finance world. Oh, wow. And um, so when I was doing my residency for child psychology, when I was in, in uni, what ended up happening was I realized that there was we were powerless in a way. There were a lot of things that parents especially 12, 15 years ago, there was a lot of things that uh, they were allowed to say to youth that I did not agree with. Like a parent could call their child stupid 15 years ago and all it was was a marking and notation in a, in, a, in a book. And there wasn't any enforcement of them taking therapy or anything that would really come out of it. As long as they didn't threaten to kill the child or uh, throw the child out the window or physically bodily harm the child, uh, there was really nothing we could do for, for verbal abuse. And I'm a Pisces, so for me, verbal abuse is equally as bad as corporal abuse. Yeah. And I just yeah. felt powerless. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick to the finance world because this world doesn't help me. And uh, years later, which is so funny, now as a philanthropist, as an accredited investor, 
it's interesting because I ended up getting my minor in child psychology and it's like I'm still using it now uh, because with a curriculum in the school systems, we deal with a lot of youth. And now I'm in a position with even with the project that we're doing in Ghana, um, it's more of a it's a it's a youth art museum um, and we'll do mentorship and entrepreneurship with the kids and giving them vocational skills. Mm-hmm. And so all of these paths deal with money, numbers, finance and child psychology, right? Getting behind the psyche of the child and helping them evolve beyond the barriers that are created around them in society. Because, you know, we live in a world where no matter what country you are, there are barriers, especially, um, you know, from the upper echelon posed upon people that come from a lower economic background. Um, and I just want to do my best to just put a dent in that, in that bureaucracy. There's such a huge gap, too. I mean, I know, speaking from my own experience, I, I mean, well, I guess when I was younger in school, they started to teach us how to, like, did they teach us how to balance a checkbook? I want to say it was like cashier type stuff, like count money. But I didn't really start taking finance classes until college, um, accounting. And, you know, a lot of that really should start at home. Um, you know, I didn't see, I know my mom, she she budgeted, but she definitely, you know, didn't sit down and like go through from point A to point B with me, interest rates credit, you know, I just kind of fell into that when it was my time Mm -hmm. and a lot of my peers as well. So, um, why do you think that is? Why do you think that that conversation to have in households when kids are young, why is there such a, I don't know, why is it so taboo, I guess? Um, it's two things, right? I think one of the major things that impacts us when it comes to that conversation on the dinner table is that, Oftentimes, you know, um, especially in a black family, like, um, you know, it's African, West African, West Indian, African American, a lot of my friends, one of the things when we have these conversations that seem to go across the table, and seem to be a constant is the fact that oftentimes parents say this is adult business, this is adult conversation, you know, and then they just don't include you. And they're like, oh, you're a child, stay in your place. Or do you right. put any money towards the bills in this house? Like, mind your business, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, you don't yeah. regulate anything around here. Exactly. And the thing is, um, the what's negative about that is, in honesty, it should be a group conversation. Because if your children know that you're budgeting towards a goal, yeah. uh, let's say you live in a house, you want to buy a bigger house. Let's say your child, you have three kids and they, they're sharing a room and you want to buy a bigger house so that they can all each get their own room then it should become something like, which is a family project where maybe you put like, um, you know, a budget chart on the fridge and then, you know, hey, this month, guys, this is how much we want to save up. And this is the budget for like cereal and all the other expenses so that the kids can be like, hey, you know what? If we help mommy save and cut back on the things that we want to purchase, maybe we can get to our end goal quicker. Um, But for so long, I feel like there was just mental slavery where even, um, and I say mental slavery because I feel like there's this oppression that comes from a lot of sometimes just as a person as back in the day is not even being allowed to discuss money, right? You weren't even allowed to have your make your own money. So you come from not being allowed to make money to finally starting to make money, then you're making peanuts right. and then you're supposed to make it do. And you don't really want to worry the rest of your family. So sometimes the head of the household would not share if anyone else how financially stressed they were because they didn't want to worry people. They want to take on all the burden of being worried about the money and the finance. 
And oftentimes in our community, we're worried and burdened with what, where's the next check going to come? Are we saving enough? Are we investing enough? Um, in fact, some of us don't even invest because we're so afraid of spending money. And we just have this like crab mentality of save, 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 where in reality, saving is not enough. But no one's there to teach us that saving is not even enough. So it, it's so deep. It is so deep. Um, it goes on, and that's just culturally in Europe, that's in Africa itself as a continent where you have a situation where you're either filthy rich or filthy poor, right? right. And it's like little, a lot of African countries have little to no middle class. And I'm saying this as a woman who has African descent, as a woman who's been to multiple countries around the continent and have done a lot of philanthropic work around the countries and with both, you know, elders on the spiritual and you know, uh, tribe side and, you know, politician side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I go to Africa, I go to other continents and then I come to America or Europe, I see the same exact issues when it comes to our melanin, right? Mm -hmm. The rich want to keep all the money, the yep. poor, they want them to remain as a worker bee. Right. And it's the worker bee mentality and worker bees, you know what I mean? It's consumerism and, you know, there's a lot of secrecy. And you're taught that from the upper echelon, and then you just continue that that poor mentality. Yeah. Wow. wow, that's really interesting to hear because being you know from America, African Americans, we we kind of just think, uh, not all of us, but um, you know the the financial struggles that come like my mom was never a really good saver or like good with credit her mom really wasn't like it's kind of just passed down um mm -hmm. and I think sometimes just being in America we kind of just think that's our struggle like because yeah. of our plight here and it's just eye-opening to it's hear that's like everywhere with people of color you know wow and I mean and to give you an example like Oftentimes you'll hear parents talk about allowances and budgeting in a Caucasian household. And then oftentimes when you come to a black family, like allowance, well, you have a house over your head and you have free <laughs> food every night. What do you mean you want an allowance? <laughs> and, you know, these conversations happen. And, you know, if you're lucky, you might have a parent who's a little bit more progressive. But, you know, I have family members who are doctors and attorneys and, you know, you name it, barristers, you name it, whether it's in the UK or here in the States. And when their kids ask for allowance, and I mean, these are people who are making millions of dollars a year and their kids will ask for an allowance. They're like, allowance? What, is, what are you talking about? Do you know when I was your age, I would exactly. do the dishes, take out the garbage, everything for free. And, you know, you better get good grades yeah. and you better blah, 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 blah. And it's funny to hear them say it because I'm like, we're perpetuating a cycle, a, a cycle of poorness. And in reality, you know, when we do something bad or when our children do something bad, the world is there to scream, you did something bad. When your child does something bad, we're quick to tell them, you didn't take out the garbage. You didn't, you, you forgot to turn off the light that instead. Mm -hmm. You didn't get a, a A or a B, you got a C on this test. So when they do something good, what is the reward? Why should they even push to get an A? Why should they make sure that they turn off the light, right? Because they're not getting rewarded when they do something good. In fact, sometimes it's almost like they get more acknowledgement when they do something naughty or something bad. Mm -hmm. So financially, it becomes the same cycle, right? Because if you notice that your grandmother and your mother financially struggled, but like, let's say you always see that they broke even and they're perfectly fine, mm -hmm. then you might become the person in life who's like, well, you know, I might financially struggle and not have good credit, but I'll be fine because my mom and my grandmother were fine. And look, I came out okay. And mm -hmm. they came out okay. And they have a house or a roof over their head. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this cycle of um, complacent, mm -hmm. right? But when you see the person who's supposed to be a role model 
or people that you care about pushing for the 820 credit school, pushing to have investment and saving portfolios and diversifying a portfolio and having these conversations with you, it becomes second nature because that becomes what you strive for. Now you start talking to your friends and you're like, even your best friend or your homegirl, your homeboys, whoever is in your circle, the conversations change to, hey fam, what's your credit school? Yo, dude, you went down from 20 points. What well, you mean it went down 20 points? You better fix that. Like, right. And then you're, you're changing the conversations around a dinner table, around lunch. You're changing, uh, going to the gym and working out, and you're talking about what stock portfolio you're going to invest in and the economy and what's happening with the presidency. And, you know, and those conversations help you to change and break the habits, any of your bad habits. Yeah. I think it's a sense of shame too that comes with it for some reason. It's like, we don't talk about that. You know, we don't talk about finances. Even when I met my now husband and when we were dating and we had conversations about finances and he's in finance, so he's a numbers guy and I'm the type, well, I used to be where I'm like, he's the saver and I'm like, let's blow everything, right? Like, let's spend it all. Let's, we live once, let's spend it all. So through, you know, but even when we had that conversation about finances, it was kind of like, you know, it was just so uncomfortable. But then when we talked about it and he's like, okay, cool. Like, this is where you are. This is where I am. How do we get on the same page if this is the path that we're trying to go on? And it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, But initially, I think it's always that shame factor of like, I have a girlfriend who doesn't even like to look at her account to see she knows she has money in her account but she doesn't like to see the balance and I'm like well how do you know like what you don't overspend you know what I mean yeah you don't get those overdraft fees out of $35 exactly and obviously (laughs) she'll look at it but I mean it it really used to be a thing where she was like oh I just don't and so I I hate that though I mean now um for me specifically I've um gotten involved in investments, specifically stock related. Um, so I have a 401k, obviously, but it was kind of cool reading your background and just the whole investment banking scenario, even though I know that's just one sector, but it's so true. I mean, if you think about saving in a bank, you're not making hardly any money off of that on a, over a long period of time. Um, whereas, you know, there's different kinds of aggressive stocks, there's you know, um, real estate, there's all these different areas. REITs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But before we leave, um, the other subject, it's a two pronged street, right? So she might not want to look at her accounts and people sometimes don't even want to look at it because they're ashamed. But then there's also another part where some people don't want to talk about their finances, their friends, because they, they, they're like, I don't want to create a hater. Right. So you might be financially doing well, your stock portfolio, you know, you bought a stock for $10 and went up to $32 and you want to go call somebody and brag about it but then it's like who's in your circle can you call someone and brag about it are they struggling financially and going to be mad at you instead of asking you hey dude can you teach me how to do that that's super true Whitney and I talk about that all the time it's like you we only and it's it's sad it's really sad though so there's shame on both sides (laughs) to a certain extent yeah you can't and so I wanted to make sure I point that out like you know it's really important that if you're in a circle where the per- person doesn't think to ask you to teach them versus they want to put energy towards hating on you or yeah. disliking you, that might not be a cup of a tea. And it doesn't matter if you know that person since the first grade or since diapers 
um, or if you, you know, your sorority together, I don't know, I don't care what the situation is, anyone in your circle who does not add to your positivity and does not allow you to feel comfortable being you, rather it's your spouse or your friends, you know, it's time for a reassessment and it's a conversation. It's time for a conversation. And I'm not saying to end a friendship or end a relationship, but the first part is addressing the problem and having that financial conversation like you had with your bloke um, before he became your husband and said, you know, hey, what is, where are you financially? Because that conversation, even as friends, can save us so much money. I have friends that, you know, I remember when I was first creating Kids Too Bank, I left finance. I left the, I left the industry. I wasn't making steady income. And there were a lot of brunches that I had to miss. And, you know, I had people who were like, oh, you don't ever come out anymore. And I'm like, look, fam, like, I got to bank up because I'm trying to create a business. I have goals. I, um, <laughs> I have goals. And, you know, like, sometimes they'd be like, oh, but aren't you married? Like, you know, back then I remember the, the, the conversation I would get was, oh, but you have a husband. And I'm like, because I have a husband doesn't mean that I now have to become financially irresponsible mm-hmm. and spend his money. And while meanwhile, he's maintaining maybe the main main bills and main uh, balances of the house. And I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, I need also $200 to go to a brunch at Prime or whatever the place is. And so, you know, or I wanna go on a girl's trip. Not saying that you shouldn't spoil yourself, but then that's a conversation in itself, right? Mm-hmm. And my goals were like, I need to buckle down because tomorrow we could get a divorce. Tomorrow I could be a single mother. Tomorrow you could get hit by a truck, God forbid. And what do I have to fall back on? Right. And so when I started thinking that way, I had to cut out the, the the week and the week for me were friends who, when I had that conversation, like I'm trying to save right now, I'm in the saving phase of my life yeah. that were like not understanding. And were like, well, if you can't come out, then, you know, you're a whack friend. And I'm like, then I guess I'm a whack friend and maybe we shouldn't have this friendship. <laughs> right. It's real. And um, it's, it's really important to get to that phase because no matter how long, I mean, I had friends that I knew for 14, 15 years that, I had to cut off in that phase. And it's funny because those same people, now that I'm successful and they're like, oh, 26,000 followers on Instagram. And, mm. and, you know, the little baby successes start happening and I receive this award or I'm on this interview, whatever's happening. Those same people are the same people now going out their way, bending over backward to reach out to me, to befriend wow. me, to say, can you teach me how to flip real estate? You know, I made like my first million in real estate and somebody heard it on a podcast. And so she was like, I didn't know you were a millionaire. I was like, uh, yeah. She's like, can you teach me? And I was like, oh, you were like shitting on me hard back. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. Fucking cuss. But you can. Like, yes, you can, girl. <laughs> oh, my God, she was shitting on me. I mean, like she literally came for the kid when I was trying to bank up, you know, and she was like, Jatali's always broke. She made a joke like that. And I was like, I'll be wow. broke all the way to the bank. How about that? Right. Right. And and it's interesting because now when those conversations happen, you guess what? That same person is the person you hit with your retainer. Well, right. this is my fee if you want me to teach you how to do X, Y, and Z. Mm. And you don't feel guilty about it because you oh. owe that person nothing. Your loyalties are to yourself and Ooh. your brand and your family. That's a whole word. Wow. When those tables wow. turn. Man. I'm telling you. And they always turn. They always <laughs> turn. They always turn. Oh, man. That <laughs> That's is a crazy. whole word. Yeah. That is a whole word. <laughs> We talk about that a lot too, you know, just trying to, (laughs) trying to shift yourself out of where you are currently. Everyone is just not always supportive and they also can't come along, you know, a great majority of them. (laughs) And it's crazy because sometimes it's even family, you know, it's no 90% of the time it's family Yeah, (laughs) because we let family get away with things that we wouldn't let strangers get away with. I mean, come um, on and it shouldn't be an excuse, you know, 
it shouldn't be an excuse. And I've felt guilty about certain things and, you know, certain comments that have been made. And it's like, oh, well, that's just, you know, it's like my husband would be like, well, no, that's not right. And I'm like, oh, well, that, that, that's just her. And it's like, you got to stop doing that too. Cause it's like, yeah, no, making excuses. that's shady. Like call it what mm-hmm. it is. People really tell you how, how they feel under jokes anyway. You know what I mean? It comes out jokey, but deep down they're slick serious. So I don't know. I hate that crabs in a barrel mentality, or I hate when people feel like because you started out in a certain light now to see you evolve and to see you come into other things. Now it's this, like, you can't do that. You know, you're supposed to be pigeonholed and it's really sad. I'm so, not saying that, not at all. I mean, and in finance, you know, it's funny. The people who do the best are usually the people who know how to team up the right way. The, the ones who play nice with others are the ones who financially do the best. Yep. And even in the real estate world, me climbing the real estate ladder was playing nice with the right people mm-hmm. and making the right friends, building those relationships, knowing when to make the sacrifices to build those relationships deeper, and then allowing to get to the point, allowing myself to trust myself and trust in the process. Um, the rather it's family or whoever, because honestly, you're not going to get to a million or even a hundred thousand dollars if every two seconds someone asks you to borrow a dollar here, a thousand here, five hundred mm. there, and and your cup is not even full yet. Before you can even get to the halfway point on your cup, you keep pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, and it's almost like yeah, you might have made a million in a year, but you wouldn't even know it because you keep pouring out from your cup. And that even includes yourself because sometimes we can be our own worst enemies when it comes to like shopping sprees and yep. this is on sale. If I don't get it now, I might not get it next year and I, I might never myself. see this again. I go, I'll treat yeah. myself. And yes, <laughs> you should definitely treat yourself, right? So when people hear the term, you have to pay yourself first, they misunderstand what that means, right? Paying yourself sometimes is you have a goal and putting the money in the pot towards that goal. That could be paying yourself, mm. right? Paying yourself doesn't mean I have to go to Bloomingdale's or Bergdorf Goodman and, and spend $5,000 on a, right. on a coat, right. you know, on right. a fur coat, you know? Um, and that's the things that we do sometimes, right? Because sometimes when we have it, we get so excited and we're like, Oh, it's going to keep coming. I could just spend it. And I'm like, money is not guaranteed. If quarantine had not shown us anything else, it's people Ooh. who were making 30, 50,000 a year, like in a restaurant business who took the next following day were told by government to shut down and came from making thirty to fifty thousand a month to literally making zero dollars a month. Yeah. Mm. And getting PPP loans that were like for sixty thousand, which only covered one month of rent. Mm. Meaning that a lot of people had to shut down restaurants that they put all their money into. Mm-hmm. And those same people were living check to check like, oh I just bought a half a million dollar house or a million dollar house because I'm doing good financially. Meanwhile, you didn't know that this was coming. You never know what's around the corner. Look at 2008. I like to use the example when I'm teaching students, Lehman Brothers. You know, that company had been around for 170 years as an investment banking firm, right? And there were people who worked there for 30 plus years who thought they had job security, who had seen all kinds of financial duress. And then that day they walked in and then, what was it, a couple of hours later, walked out with their lives in boxes crying. People committed suicide after Lehman Brothers went down because they were like, man, but you never know financially what's around the corner. And you have to always work from a space of not lack, but a space of knowledge, a space of informed decisions. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you're operating from a a poor mindset, but you're operating from a rich mindset. And a rich mindset is, Mm -hmm. can I get a discount? 
how can I lower the price on this? Mm-hmm. How can I negotiate and do affiliated marketing or however to get this for free? And if I can't yeah. get it for free, do I truly need it or want it? Right. Right. And does it help me make more money? Because yeah. everything you purchase really should be something that appreciates in value. And yeah. if it doesn't appreciate in value, then your equation should put it lower on your list of things that are needs. I love the whole notion of it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you keep. And my husband, he says that to me like 45 million times a day. Um, because in our initial conversations too, when we were dating, his thing was, you know, if you can't manage, you know, making $20,000 a year or $50,000 a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year, that doesn't automatically mean because people in their minds are like, if I could just make $5 more an hour, if I could just make $50,000 a year, if I could just make $150,000 a year, but it's like, if you don't know how to manage where you're at now, once you get that extra money, everything just becomes more expensive anyway, because your lifestyle then increases. So, you know, it's, it's like a balance. You really do have to set a budget, live within your means, um, whatever that means for you and your household, but then also below your means, below your means, live below your means, below your means. And I don't mean like substandard, but I mean, like, you know, if you make a million dollars and you can afford a $800,000 house, maybe you should get a $600,000 house. So you can still have extra money in the pot. That's good. That's good. You know, like, so I agree with your husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smart man, smart man. He, he would appreciate you for that. <laughs> I mean, I, you know what? And I've seen so many people, like, I'll give you a quick story. When I was working at Credit Suisse First Boston, I remember there was a client, I won't say his name. Um, I never forgot his name because it just was the craziest thing. Um, my boss at the time managed his dad's portfolio for many, many years, like 20 plus years. Oh, wow. And then the guy passed away. And when he passed away, here it was at the time I was working there. Um, you know, I was three years working, three years in working for the company and his son comes and, you know, it was basically two, a total of about two years passed when the dad passed, when the dad passed away mm-hmm. and the dad left him a hundred million dollars. $101 million. And um, mm. this kid, because he wanted a lump sum amount mm. and wanted the money up front, instead of the dad tried to break it out. Mm-hmm. And instead of breaking it out the way the dad wanted, he found a company that was willing to buy it out and give him a lump sum. So off the bat, his money came down to $60 million because he took a lump sum. And they took $40 million and they gave him the lump sum up front. Wow. From $101 to $60 million. And then the second thing this guy did was went and go bought like uh, this ridiculous amount of house. He bought a yacht that was like $4 million and then paid for this special architect who by himself was $2 million plus, plus supplies. Um, and so he started spending the money. So in literally about two years, this kid had blown through so much money and was like, hey, uh, how did you guys make my dad's money so much? And, you know, I remember my boss telling him, we will not take you on as a client. And up until that point, and it never occurred to me that in finance that we could turn down a client. And my boss was like, I don't want to take you on. It's insulting that your dad created this legacy for you. And you know so little about money that you're just blowing through it the way you are at the speed that you're blowing through it. Mm -hmm. And was just like, you're going to probably be broke in the next three to five years. And it was like, I don't want any parts of helping you spend that kind of obscene amount of money. 
and literally, you know, private jets, $300,000 jets flying from, you know, this place to that place. And, you know, that life, wow. he was living that life. He was living and, you know, life. but the thing about that was, you know, your, your father created a legacy, but because you did not know how to manage your money, you were blowing through that legacy. And that happens right now in our black communities when it comes to like, let's say the lotto. A lot of people will get the lotto and you hear stories about how a majority of those people are actually poor within a, within three to four years of receiving their lotto millions because no one's ever taught them money management. You know, and a lot of the times, one of the first things that they do is take the lump sum. Oh, I won 20 million. Give me a lump sum of $7 million and keep it moving. What? Yep. Really? Well, just Holly, let me ask that? you, let me ask you this because my family is very heavy in the lottery community. Um, <laughs> and we've all had these conversations and, you know, uh, my family's kind of split down the middle. Like, would you take the annuity payments? Would you take the lump sum? Um, me personally, I have said I would take the lump sum if in that predicament, because, you know, when I was in college, I was taught that the future value of money is always going to be less than the present value of money. So you want to kind of take, um, you know, I guess you, the opportunity for the present value of money as opposed to the future because it could have depreciated. Is that accurate? Or because, I mean, is that a myth? Or how does, how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, and to add, catch- well, to add to that really quick, just really quick. Also, I too would take the lump sum, but my position on it would be different in the sense of I may not live over the next 10 years. So then what happens to that additional money? Do you, do I get to choose where it goes to or so? All right. So to start, the lump sum is not necessarily the worst thing. If you know what you're going to do with the money and you have a game plan, Got that's it. one. Okay. And also depending how much are they giving you for lump sum? If you had 20 million and you find somebody who comes and is like, I'm going to give you 7 million out of the 20 million, mm. then you might want to rethink that conversation and look for somebody okay. else and right. just take your time to find somebody who will give you more right. of your, out of your lump sum. Right. Right. That's one. Um, the second thing to keep in mind as well is what are the taxes that you're paying over time versus the, the taxes that you will pay with that lump sum up front? And that's mm. per state. That's not like the right. same number, right. no matter where you are. Right. Some states, the taxes are way lower. It's almost non-existent, um, depending how much you're getting per year. Right. So that would be something that would factor in for me. Because my thing is, depending how much I'm getting, guess what? I can now create a will and testament and put that in my will, right? You can create any kind of legal deed, affidavit, whatever you want, a trust fund for your children if you have a child or whoever that you want this money to go to. Now, if you have no kids and you're like a certain age and you're like, I'm never gonna have children and I don't have any human beings that I care about that I wanna give this money to, then yeah, go ahead, live your best life, get the lump sum, rock out. But if you're younger or you have children and you know you can live off of what the yearly amount is and let's say you're gonna not get taxed let's say you live in a state where because a certain below a certain amount you'll have maybe one percent in taxes if even oh. right mm-hmm. depending your state mm-hmm. then you might be like oh i want to get the, the the x y and z and just budget it out because i know i could live off of this right and i won't pay the taxes on it and i'm little to no taxes on it and you know taxes are heavy hitter because especially when yeah. it comes to personal tax it can be like anywhere from 20 to 32 percent 33 percent this is true. Yeah. Wow. And now with with Biden becoming potentially president, what's happening now with Biden becoming president is like he already told you if you're like in California, New York, or New Jersey, and certain states, 
you're going to be screwed. You're going to get clobbered by taxes right. once you make past a certain amount of $400,000. Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, depending on what state you're in, unless you're like in Florida or Delaware, one of these places, you know, you might get really hammered hard. So um, that those are things that you need to factor in. So yeah, the lump sum is not the worst thing. You could do a lot of positive with that lump sum, but have a game plan. If you're going to play the lotto, you should start planning out how you're going to spend that money in advance. Mm-hmm. As far as creating an actual decision, are you going to get a financial planner or financial advisor because you don't know certain things? Are you going to invest in the, in the stock markets and mutual funds and breakable CDs? Do you even know what a breakable CD is? You know, these are things, conversations you should have because guess what? Something as simple as knowing that you can't put $7 million protected in, in, a, in a regular bank account. Right. If you have like, let's say Chase Bank of America, Citibank or Wells Fargo, whatever bank account you have, if it's not a HNW, high net worth account, you, after $250,000, your money is not protected mm-hmm. on an average bank account, which means anything above $250,000, you might have to have like five to 10 bank accounts right. or get a high net worth account, which allows you to put millions into it. And then you have to do your research to see who can you transfer, pull your money in and out of the quickest, right? And then the next thing you have to think about is now you have a, a, a regular bank account. The average bank account like will give you 0.001% or 0.01% on your money, right? Right. Yeah. If you're lucky, 1% if you're lucky. Yeah. So then you might be like, you know what? Why am I leaving even $5,000 in a bank account? <laughs> exactly. You need to put that in a mutual fund mm-hmm. that can maybe if you're willing to take a little bit more risk, something that's willing to guarantee you five to 25% or 30% returns annually. Right. Right. Or maybe putting in a breakable CD where you're still, it's secured with the bank, rather it's a bond or a breakable CD or something like that. And your money is more secured, you know, it's protected. And even if the economy crashes and you're getting at least 2% on your money. Right. And it's just little things like that. Just understanding how money works and realizing that the bank makes 30% off of your money on average. Right every dollar that you put in it so if they're making that much on their money they're not even giving you point zero they're not even giving you two percent on that money right then why do you have your money fully there right mm. right why aren't you investing in in um commodities that can increase in 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 price so when we talk about depreciation and appreciation real estate right purchasing yep. maybe property in a in a particular location where you know it's going to increase in value yep. um and just changing our mindsets about what a lump sum actually looks like mm-hmm. so yeah it's such a so as i said it was a, it's a tricky question <laughs> i gotta make a face because i know my people we have these conversations and we say these we things do. but it's like we have to think about like it could really actually happen if you're playing it it's because you truly believe it mm-hmm. and if you believe something deep enough exactly <laughs> i believe and affirm and declare. I tell yeah, my clients yes. all of this. I affirm to declare. I declare and I affirm things into existence all the time. So if you're affirming that you're going to win the lotto, then you declare you're going to win the lotto. Then you can win the lotto. So what if you win the lotto, but guess what? If you don't actually have a plan and know what you're going to do with the universe, might not let you win the lotto because of like, mm. if this chick's win the lotto, she doesn't know what the hell she's going to do with this money. Maybe right. we shouldn't give her this lotto. Right. She's going to be worse off than before because she might be depressed that she just <laughs> lost all that money in like three years. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> it happens. It really happens. Also, uh, this is common amongst athletes um, too. Oh, yeah. You know, African-American specifically, because guess what? As soon as they get that contract, who are they taking care of? Moms, pops, Buying a house baby mamas, kids, parents. you know, the mm-hmm. uncles, the cousins. Because, you know, it's like, yeah. 
you know, I need a house. I got to buy my mom a house. I got to buy my daddy a house. I got to do this. I got it. And it's like, whoa, before you start paying other people, I know you want to make sure people, your people are good. But mm-hmm. again, there's that, you know, that's not you know, always on them. And now they're broke in a year or two years, or that money's not guaranteed after a year or like, you know what I'm saying? So if you get an injury, then, you know, the contract, contract exactly, exactly. And that's what people's families don't understand that sometimes like they think if you get that contract, like it's everyone won the lottery, like that's how, (laughs) you know, like, damn, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny. Yeah. I actually have a lot of athletes, female and male, who are clients of mine, who I help them with learning how to budget or put their families on budget. Mm. Um, and I mean, I have one, one of my mentees, actually, it was an uncomfortable conversation because I had to, you know, her, she had her, her mother basically was like, give me your mentor's number. I went to call her. And, you know, um, I was like, no, we're good. <laughs> I don't need to talk to your mother. Like, yeah. I mean, if you want me to, you're going to pay me to pay, talk to her. Right. But I will if I have to, but you know, this right. is your, this is where you need to step up for yourself. And what happened was, um, you know, <laughs> so her siblings are celebrity athletes. I won't say their name. Okay. And they have, their father had a lot of kids and, um, you know, he had a kid back in the islands in Barbados. And so my mentee, long story short, had a car accident and with, a, with another influ- a celebrity, and the celebrity was like, I'll give you X, Y, and Z amount of millions of dollars to just not sue me, just leave this alone. Right. And uh, she took the case. She took it. And within the first year of her taking it, her mom spent $4 million. Mm. And her mom went and bought a house for two something, two point whatever million dollars on the on overlooking the water in Barbados. Oh. Her mom joined a exclusive country club and started living that life. Meanwhile, the mom was a registered nurse quit her job took my I've worked my whole life quit her job and told the daughter you need to continue going to school for being a registered nurse because um you know you need to have a fallback just in case wow. meanwhile the woman's retired and was going to country clubs and stuff wow. so her siblings because of who they were and how, because they were my clients one of them was a football player the other one's a track star you know reached out to me like yo um we need you to talk to our little sister and you know she came into a lot of money and she didn't know what the hell she's doing with it and, you know, I sat this little girl down and I had to like, I'm like, you're in your early 20s. I know it might sound intimidating, but guess what? This is your money. And if you're broke, you'll have no one else to blame but yourself. Mm. It's true. Mm. So if you let her run you into the ground, she obviously didn't know how to manage money because if she was, if she knew how to manage it and she was that good with money and, and deals and investment deals, she probably would have been a millionaire already. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So why would you allow this person free reign on your account? And, you know, so funny um, because the minute she put her mother on a budget, it was like World War Three, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I gave birth to you and I've done everything for you. But meanwhile, yep. it's like, wow. you're not trip. the one going to physical therapy. Yep. But meanwhile, trip. you're not the one They'll going play. to physical yes, therapy. It's, again, that's really sad. It's you so know, sad. it's really sad. Yeah. And uh, I applaud celebrities and just people in general once they get to a point where they um, have quote unquote made it or doing well, you know, they have boundaries in place, you know, you have to, and you can, it could come across like, damn, like now you got a little bit of money. You're acting different. It's like, well, I'm trying to keep my money, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I'm trying to, you know, I've got gener I'm creating generational wealth here. And so, you know, that looks a lot different. It could look like being rude or, you know, I don't mess with all, whatever you want to call say, it. I must say there's a difference between creating, um, generational wealth and uh, not wanting to lose your money and also 
becoming then that crab in a barrel mentality where it's like you get to a point where you don't even want to invest the money because you think saving is enough, right? Mm, because then that's exactly. an, also another issue that I see where sometimes an athlete will be like, oh, I'm sitting on $200 million. Ooh, I'm so excited. And I'm like, okay, well, you do realize that the cost of living keeps going up. Right. Are you going to invest that money? Right. What are you going to do to make sure you secure that money? Mm-hmm. Depending where your money is is currently housed, it might not even be safe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I remember like there was this person who was like going to do this real estate deal and he was putting all this money in this property. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to do all of these Airbnbs. And I was just like, yo, fam, not a good idea. He's like, well, everybody's making money off of Airbnb. I'm like, yo, fam, don't do it, right? Mm. I'm like, if anything goes wrong, you're going to have to pay the mortgage for all of these properties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if anybody cancels on you, Airbnb is going to give them back the money automatically, no questions asked. It's always going to pick that person. So many things can happen, go wrong. Right. You shouldn't take so many liabilities at one shot. But sometimes, like, you know, people, oh, well, I know the real estate market. I know Airbnb. Airbnb is doing this yeah. thing. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, but you're not a finance person. And even right. if you are a finance person, finance people have other finance people to check their numbers and right. to check them to keep them in line, right? So who's your accountability partner? Who's going to, even when you start to become rich and you think you're doing good and your, your money is, is popping, keep you accountable to make sure that you're not having the wrong financial mindset because you don't want to be too left nor too right you don't want to be too save 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 and you don't want to be too invest 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 diversify you know you have to you have to (laughs) that's the word for the day diversification diversify (laughs) (laughs) what would you say to people who because i've seen a lot of this too just where um when you, when people get money or they, again, they quote unquote have made it in their, in their realm, they look to someone like an accountant or a finance person, finance, financial background to help them assist with, you know, taxes and all of those things um, to keep them on track. But then you hear about the story on the other side of it, where it's like, I lost all my money because of my accountant. They mismanaged my money. So, and I'm always like, like, so how, what is the process in going about, even if you don't have millions of dollars, let's just say you make $50,000 and you have, you're, you're really, really good with your money and you want to diversify and you want to, you know, just learn more about that world. What is the process in getting someone who you would feel like you vetted and are trustworthy? I honestly believe that I honestly believe that for the most part, you should learn a base knowledge in whatever you're going to hire someone in. Mm, So if you're going to, that's one of the first things I would say. I mean, besides accreditations, making sure that they have a lot to lose. Right. You know what I mean? Like if it's somebody who's just like, you know, the corner ball, you know, the the dude and the the bloke who stands at the corner store and he's like, oh, I'm also an accountant, Mm -hmm. you know? It's right. like the question is like, do you have a website? Do you own right. any any you know who who are your clients? Do you have a social media platform that is major? You know what do you have that's liable on the line? But outside of that, having a conversation with that person, part of that vetting process is giving them you know, let's say you want to know about tax structures, having a conversation with them and see if they even know the percentages and the rates and the loop basic loopholes, right? Right. And in a basic consultation, they should be able to give you enough information that if you wanted to technically go and take on the hassle by yourself, that you could do it by yourself. Hmm, okay. Right? Even when you're doing like a trademark, a, a good trademark attorney, in my personal opinion, 
they will explain to you, okay, we're going to get you specimen. You're going to have to create a website. You're going to have to do this kind of specimen, blah, 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 blah. And then we're going to submit it. And the average cost is this and the classes are this. So there's going to be a certain level of information they're going to provide with you, provide to you that if you Googled it, you would kind of see that outline. Right. But they should make it sound like baby talk to you. It should be like so simple that a toddler could do it right. by, the, by the way they speak with you and the way they break it down. And honestly, from that conversation alone, if they're overcomplicating life and they're using terms you don't know, write those terms down, right? right. And go back and research the terms that they were utilizing. Right. If you can, record the conversation. You know, ask for permission. Hey, can I just, you know, can we have a recording of this conversation so I can refer to it later? And price around. That's another right. thing, right? Sometimes you can know who's trying to get over by just the price that they try to charge you mm. for the services. Um, you know, and I, I really believe in paying people to, you know, what they ask. So if someone's telling you that their price is $3,000 and you try to bring them down to $1,500, keep in mind that they might give you $1,500 worth of quality of work. Right. Right. And so now are they going to lower, if they're lowering their standards, their fee, you know, what is the catch? Is it because they're going to now jip you? Did you, are you able to barter something with this person right. um, and make sure you're like, Hey, you want this property, but I'll give you this property instead. And mm. in return, you do this for me. What can you barter to make sure that it's also like both streets are going to be affected if someone's not doing their part? Um, you know, and it's just different ways, even if you don't have the money to hire the right team to make sure that you're bringing the right team. But my first thing would be making sure you have a base knowledge. Second thing is pricing around because someone gives you a price that doesn't mean that's automatically priced. Um, and even if they had a good conversation with you and they were so personable, don't get caught up, don't get caught in the hype. Um, it's more it's more than that. It's really about making sure that the numbers add up and that what they're providing to you makes sense, that they have a following, they have something to lose, and that they're not just some random person. And of course, referrals. Referrals yeah, can be really good, especially if you have other people who are in the finance world or even listening to this podcast. You might be like, hey, you know what, Mia? Um, you know, I listen to Whitney and Mia all the time and I love this podcast. You know, do you guys know a database of, you know, black accountants? And then you right. might be like, oh, yeah, NABA is the National Association of Black Accountants. Right, right. If you find someone from there, you know, they could lose their license if, mm -hmm. if, if you um, if they do something wrong. And, you know, that's another thing is, does that person have a license? Right. It's like it's like uh, taxes. To give you an example, a lot of black people, I love my people, but a lot of us will have that friend who knows taxes to get you that good price. But will that friend sign that they're the one who did your prepared your taxes, right? Yeah. Because there's a little part in that IRS form <laughs> that says that we you're all know the one them. who filled it out. We all know them, right? It's so, coming and up. So, <laughs> and then tax season comes around. Oh, I'll get you $10,000 extra. Just grab this child and put them on your... And the thing is, it's like, once you hear someone telling you they're going to cut corners and they're telling you how they're going to give you a fake child and you, they're telling you you're going to you know fine you're they're going to increase what your expenses were to make you look better so you can get more money once right. someone's talking like that that should be usually a, a warning sign to stay away from that right. because honestly it's not worth cutting the corners because the iris always catches up it could be oh, like yeah. 20 years later they are pull up me. on you yep you know they pull up on you well, it wouldn't be 20 because i think 10 years is a jurisdiction but yeah, they'll call you like seven years later and be like oh i know it's been seven years but in like 2012 uh -huh. you did x y and z and yeah 
and you're like but it's 2020 and they're like oh. well yeah we have a, we have 10 years to pull you out on your we're rubbish. gonna need that back yeah we're gonna need it back <laughs> yeah. and then next thing you know they're telling you you can't travel because you owe them a hundred thousand dollars like was it really worth it because mm-hmm. they tax on all kinds of erroneous charges and when they tax you and they add um inflation to it they don't ever lower their inflation they add that interest and they're like oh is, your bill was nine hundred dollars, but our inflation is twenty one hundred dollars. Exactly, oh <laughs> exactly. Goodness. Maybe they are the one organization that I do not ever want to play with. You don't okay, mess with the I, the R, or the S. Uncle Sam, <laughs> listen, nah, <laughs> baby, this is what I have. This is what I put aside. Here you go. I knew you was looking for me or gonna come for me, so here you go. I'm sorry. Slap I on beat the wrist. You to my the bad. Punchline. Like, and that's the thing. Um, oftentimes we don't we don't do that. We don't yeah. think about it and what ends up happening is you screw yourself over. You, you, you actually hurt yourself. So if someone is talking to you and in your interview of them, they're cutting corners and they're talking about how much money they're going to get you. And they, 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 they're doing all these little, even the PPP loans right now. That's the oh, next scam, right? Huge, there, yeah. there are people who are charging people $2,000 to get them PPP loans or percentage 20 to 30%. Well, so let me tell you the funny thing about that. Now they ask you specifically when you go to get one of those loans, they ask the person, are you doing it on behalf of someone else? So that's, mm. that's number one. If you lie and say that you're not, and you are the person, they can look at the IP address, your IP address and who was associated with. Wow. So what's happening is I won't say who and who my, my source is, but one of my sources was telling me they were, you kids who just graduated from like Columbia and NYU college students who needed jobs that they hired and their jobs are literally to see if like let's say 20 PPP loans were coming from the same IP address and then breaking it down to see who is this person at this IP address that seems to be following all of these loans and then did that person claim that they were doing it for, for as a person or were they claiming that they were themselves? And then they ask you, were you getting 20%, 30%, or how much of a percentage were you getting paid? Because then what's happening is, don't forget, the Federal Reserve and other people have access to your bank accounts. So now they don't have, by law, they don't need to ask any questions to now go into your bank database because you took a loan and see how much did you pay that person at that IP address? Mm. Oh, so it looks like you gave that person $2,000. Oh, you gave... But they only claim that you gave them five hundred dollars, or they only claim that you gave them two hundred dollars, which is honestly like unethical. It's not worth it. Yeah, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Because now you might go to jail or get hit with a thirty percent interest. Yeah, on what you borrowed, or yeah. you might on do both, or you might be, you know, it's, <laughs> so it's like okay, Amber's you might have made a, right. You might have been made. You might have made a hundred thousand dollars, but then now you're going to jail for the rest of your life or Oof. for five years. Or for two years, even for one year, even for one yeah. month, yeah. is it worth it? Scammers so, still so, there, you know. Mm-hmm. So and I so I say all the time, you dot your eyes, cross your t's, but make sure that you are within your parameters because it's not worth it. When the government pulls up, it's just not worth it. If anyone right. pulls up, it's just not worth it. Right. It's a lot of yeah. scammers out there. It's right now. I think people are very 
um, you know, desperate for money. I mean, we already had our people living like, you know, below the poverty line, but especially with the pandemic and coronavirus, I think like the desperation for money has reached like an all time high where there are a lot of new scams and, you know, people are coming up off of tax fraud, unemployment fraud, all types of fraud. Um, all kinds and and it's ridiculous because when you really think about it you're cutting corners and some of these people only get like ten thousand dollars so you're gonna go to jail for ten thousand dollars or you're gonna pay 30 percent interest rate which means you're paying back sometimes thirteen thousand dollars you 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 stole ten but now you have to pay ten plus three thousand dollars in interest that you know how much you what you could have done with that money so it's like you almost actually could have just worked and made the money the hard old-fashioned way you know, I mean, mm-hmm. if you really are financially death strapped and if you can't afford the person for the price that they're charging, then learn how to do it yourself. There are so many Udemy, Coursera type programs yeah. where even with Udemy, you can Google discounts and there's always like a 90% off any course discount floating around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. You know, there's always like a, a course that's $100 by the time you're done, it comes down to like $10 once you find a coupon for it. Right. And it's like, learn it, do it yourself. Yep. You know what I mean? And if you don't have the brain power to learn it and you don't have, then barter. There must be a skill that you have that you can barter. You know how to do hair? Guess what? I'll do your hair. You do my taxes. Right. Yes. And Love just make that. sure you sign on the dotted line that you're the one who did it. Because when the IRS asked me why I filed that I had, um, you know, three kids, I want you to be like, oh, I, that was my mistake. And if right. you're not willing to claim on that line that you made that mistake, then you don't need to do my taxes. I could do my own bloody taxes. Right. I'd rather get less back. And make sure that everything is dotted. Right. Love that. Jatali, you are the truth. I, you feel are. Like I have learned so much. <laughs> we you. may have to have Money Mondays or something. I don't know what we got. <laughs> we may have to have you come on once a month as a quick segment for our cat. Yeah, yeah, this is really great. This is really, really great. Um, great you, stuff. Yeah, we don't want to my take pleasure. up too much of your time, but we do want to give you um some time to like let the people know where can they find you, what do you have coming up? Um, I know your book, um, uh, Kids Who Bank is out. Like, where can they purchase? So we have a book, um, Kipreneurs, uh, Wants versus Needs, and it's for I say ages eight and up, eight to okay. eighteen, eight to seventeen. Um, it's a chapter book, and it teaches kids about finance and you know depreciation, APR, and credit scores, and it, sh- it follows the journey of these kid entrepreneurs and um, you can find on our website, brilliantmindsunite.com. Uh, and, you know, so now for adults, we do a lot of adult classes and things of that nature. And that's under brilliantmindsunite.com. Um, and, you know, if you want to email me, it's the same thing, info at otherkidswhobank.com or info at brilliantmindsunite. And if you're on social media, everything right now is under at kids who bank. So that was originally how we started this whole empire um, but I realized that as we started going into colleges and universities, that a lot of adults and parents didn't want, and teachers and stuff like that, didn't want to, um, you know, take a program called Kids Who Bank because they're like, I'm not a kid. And um, so we created Brilliant Minds Unite as a way to mitigate that and um, mediate a space where adults felt comfortable. Um, so as we transition right now, still at Kids Who Bank on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and then we have a private group on Facebook called, um, you know, Brilliant Minds Unite as well. So if people request it, we, uh, you know, if you say they heard it on here, then I'll just automatically accept you. Um, but yeah, so that's how you guys find me. I'm really good on my Instagram. I'm bad on Twitter and Facebook and everything mm-hmm. else, to be honest. Um, 
but my Instagram, I try my best to reply to everyone um, just because it's easier to manage for me. And I'm just one human being, um, one human being. And most of my professors are like for kids who bank for teaching and finance and things of that nature. So, I mean, real talk. I just, if anybody learned anything today, it's really about just making sure that financially you, you don't limit yourself there. The internet, there's so many resources. Our parents and our parents' parents and our parents' parents' parents, they didn't have the book that we have. They don't have the internet that we had. They didn't have the yeah. YouTube, the podcast, Mm-mm. all these money podcasts. Like you're, you guys having this conversation that we didn't, ha- they didn't have these resources. Mm-hmm. So now it's almost like there is no excuse. Right. And this new generation, they're coming to eat everything. They're not leaving anything on the table. Mm-mm. So, you know, if you're not part of this newer generation, these 19 and 17 year olds that are out there protesting and right. you're in your 40s and 30s, and your 20s, your late 20s, and your early 50s, it's like sure. time to step your game up. And there's no excuses because these young kids are not holding anything back. They're not. And we have no reason to hold our tongues either because those days are gone. Yep. Like, just done. I agree. So I agree. You have no one to blame but yourself if rather you're successful or you crashed and burned. Mm-hmm. Mm. That powerful. is powerful. <laughs> Well, we, I'm about to go manage my bank accounts. I'm listen, about to go trip. well, you know, you guys got need- me now, so I'm a resource. Utilize me. Yes, you know, we definitely have. will. We definitely. I'll give will. you my cell phone when we end this recording. I'll yeah. give you my cell phone so you guys can link me directly. And this is what it's about. You know, when I was coming up, I had some of the dopest mentors, female and male. Yep. And recently yeah. I did a podcast and someone mentioned, asked me about, um, you know, did it matter their race? And I'm like, honestly, it doesn't. You know, money is money. Money is green. There's only one color mm-hmm. and that's only green. one color, mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. one color and it's green. And so in the finance world, you, it didn't matter if the person was Jewish, Italian, uh, black, Russian, whatever they were, if they had the knowledge that you need, mm-hmm. you know, humble yourself. If that person has the knowledge and they want to share it with you, get a mentor. And you know what I mean? If you can't afford a mentor financially, then once again, what can you do? Can you help them categorize stuff, answer emails? It must be something that you can do because keep in mind, when you work a regular job with someone else, you're working sometimes at nine to five, five to eight, go yep. home with work. So now put that work and energy into yourself. Right. And so mentorship wise, if you guys need any questions or have anything, just reach out more than happy. Um, cause I know sometimes as women, it's easier to talk to another woman about these money things. It is, and I think it's also okay for people to not know everything. It's okay to feel like you don't know everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, so-and-so told me and it's like, well, there's more than one way to get to your house, you know? So just because you know that way doesn't mean that these other opportunities or these other ways are bad. I mean, these could also be great things for you too, but you have to, like you said, be willing to have those conversations and be open-minded and just be willing to listen to someone who, you know, wants to share knowledge. Um, and so, be yeah. compartmentalized. I have to say that, you know, yeah. because a mentor is good in real estate, they might not be good when it comes to taxes or if exactly. a person is good and, you know, um, in business period all around, they might not go- be good at home life, right? Exactly. And balancing self-love. So right. like for me, I, I have a mentor who helps me with self-love things. I have a mentor who helps oh. me real estate and mm-hmm. scaling up. I have a mentor who helps, you know, so everything I realized I had to have different mentors yep. for different things that I wanted to accomplish because 
some people just can't handle all those aspects of their life. And I have one mentor who's kind of very well-rounded, right. but you know, that's somebody who I can barely get in the phone with. So right. then I had to make sure that when I can't get her, who's my backup person. Love that. Right. And um, so it's okay to do that too. Like, don't think you have to have one person for everything because most people don't have their shit together completely. Yeah. Right. That's really the goal for most people. So, you know, you'll have somebody who. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) The first to say I'm a hot mess. Okay. But I'm trying. (laughs) All right. So we're going to do affirmation right now. Okay. It's going to do a financial affirmation. Right. And after we do this, we're going to be a reminder that an affirmation can be a negative affirmation or a positive affirmation. So you just spoke a negative affirmation that we're going to remove. So this never happened. This last second of this conversation never happened. But I am. I am. I am. One idea. One what? idea. One idea. One idea. Okay. Away from. Away from. Away from. Being a millionaire. Being a millionaire. Being a millionaire. That's and nice. that's that's just the first thing to remember. And anytime you even think about your finances or whatever, you never refer to it as a hot mess again, please. You're right. You know. You're right. It's, it's a working progress. You're you know? right. It's a working journey. I love that. And and once it's a progress, that means that you will we will do things towards that stride and fixing it. Mm. And that that was a mentor I had to get at one point because I would say stuff like, "Oh, I'm dumbing out," and I'm like, I had to catch myself like, "Why are you saying you're dumbing out?" Because you're implying that you're dumb. Exactly. And now somebody in the universe calls you dumb. You can't really get mad because you call yourself dumb. And words have me so universe. much power. Oh my gosh, so you're power. right. So much power. And, and even the way you treat your money, if you take your money and you just crumble it up and you throw it in your purse, I really believe the universe looks at that and be like, she don't care about her money. She don't mm-hmm. need her money. Yep. So what if you lose $5? You just crumble it up and throw it in your purse anyway. Right. And the next thing you know, you lost $5. If you've ever lost money, it's probably because of the way you manage your money mm. and the way you treat it, right? So everything mm. is affirming. Everything is a declaration. It's, it's visualization to actualization. And for you to visualize, you have to believe in yourself. You have to physically be able to see that you can accomplish something and then it will actualize because you can't get you know it's like setting your mini goals right you set you set the fact that you want to be in olympics and then you find out afterwards the bullet points to get you to the olympics love that Mm. you are godsend (laughs) we love you (laughs) we love you thank you thank you So yes, well, thank you again for coming on our show. This has been just so powerful, so rewarding, so needed, um, especially during this pandemic. And, you know, I'd love to get you back on here, you know, soon to talk about how that's been impacting you um, in your business um, and your, should say, line of work. Um, but yeah, thank you so it's much. It's not work, man. <laughs> it's huh? not work. It's not yeah. work. I say, it's not work. It's not work. I don't look at it as work. It's good, you know, good. My purpose. I'm just good. living my life. Yeah. You so, can tell. You can you tell enjoy it. Like you You're very passionate. You're living every word you're speaking. Right. Full of integrity. I really, really enjoyed thank this you. conversation. Thank so, you. Thank well, you. Thank so you much. again, ladies. All right. Until next All right. time. Until next time, guys. Bye.